episode of the Byproduct Podcast. I am your host, Ian Pruckner, and thank you so much for joining me today, spending a few minutes together, getting better together, because when we get better, things get better. And I'm excited to be joined by a good friend of mine, uh, the master of wisdom of all sorts of areas in life, but he just has so much wisdom, so much knowledge. Uh, he's an author, an entrepreneur, a pastor, a speaker, a coach, a business leader. I don't know if there's anything Kevin Mullins doesn't do, but you guys are in for a big treat tonight uh, because Kevin is one of the guys that, that I look at and say, hey, this, this is a guy that I want to talk to. When I have a question, when I have a challenge, I want to go and get Kevin's perspective. And we've shared a number of, of long, uh, intimate phone calls about different things over the years. And so, Kevin, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for being on. Hey, man, it's my privilege and honor. I've been looking forward to doing this, man. I mean, we've shared some other platforms together and some events together, but uh, this is an honor, man, to be in the space and the house and the atmosphere that you've created. So thanks for carving out some time for me. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. And I'm excited for our audience to be able to hear from you. And, you know, th this started all the way back in the in the early days of Clubhouse. <laughs> if you remember that, uh, I think is how you and I got connected. And Clubhouse was this really interesting tool. Do you still use Clubhouse? Uh, not really. I mean, it's, it's every once in a while I'll pop on in. But if, 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 if a particular person invites me and I get like a notification, but it is, it's been quite some time since I've been on. Yeah. You know, I actually just pulled that app off of my phone. The last two or three times I went, I, I didn't even know what it was. Like, what is this? These are pre-recorded. I don't even know how to get into a room. What's live? Right. But, but, you know, one of the interesting things is Clubhouse, just sort of this audio social platform came about right at the beginning of the shutdowns and everybody was sort of on it. And, and you and I connected in a room there and, one of the things that I loved about Clubhouse that was so different from Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or any of these was this sort of like long form, deep, uh, deep dive into content where people could really get into the idea to flesh it out, to challenge it, to go back and forth on it. And I think there was a lot of good that came out of that. And some of the good was connecting with incredible people like you who have a lot of wisdom, far more than uh, your age uh, would suggest. And one of the things where I feel like you have just an enormous amount of wisdom is in the area of money and finance, spiritually, relationally with money. And so I want to jump into that um, if we can. You know, give us quickly, though, two-minute story. Who's Kevin Mullins? How did you get here? Give us that sort of rundown so we can get some context for the rest of yeah. our conversation. Man, I appreciate that. Um, man, I, you know, a kid born and. Uh, you know, lived my entire life in North Florida, raised in a pretty conservative home, uh, spiritual home, but also such a small town um, up, up just south of Tallahassee near the Gulf of Mexico that, you know, we call this area of Florida, Ian, the Redneck Riviera. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, growing up in a home, one, that was rooted in church, and then two, um, a town and a home that uh, never discussed prosperity, uh, you know, or abundance. Um, and I don't mean we wasn't happy. I mean, we, we didn't have anything, lived in a little trailer home. Um, you know, we were happy as a family, but I'd never been around any dreamers. You know, I never was around anybody that actually, you know, really owned their own businesses or, uh, you know, even left the town and did anything significant. And so I can remember at a very early age being a dreamer and uh, it, it got me in trouble quite a few times. And it wasn't until uh, maybe in my teenage years that, um, I got a hold of some material that just began, I think, to stretch my capacity and force me to look at money and finance maybe under a different light. And so there was something inside of me that desired 
to make a difference, uh, to, to create change, uh, and to bring about the type of revenue, man, that would, you know, set my family free, break generational curses. And so, uh, we went into construction, uh, 2008, uh, as you well know, was an incredible recession of banking, real estate, anything in that world. When that collapsed, um, I entered the network marketing space. And that was really one of the first times in my life that I was able to utilize, I think, my skill set to build teams, um, you know, spread a positive message and ultimately create the type of revenue that just couldn't have ever been created at a small, you know, mom and pop business. And in that process, I've just always been in ministry. I've been evangelizing full time or pastoring since I was 15. And so every book I've written, Ian, I love that we're going to talk about money because every book that I've written, has been wrapped around the idea of some some way of breaking people free from that poverty mindset and getting them to really embrace that destiny of abundance. Yeah, that's so good. You know, it's, you talked about money as a byproduct, right? You had big dreams. You wanted to make a difference and an impact. And money is the byproduct of doing those things. Money is the byproduct of solving problems and serving people, right? And, and so what I found about uh, almost everybody that I know that has a lot of wealth that was secondary for them. They, they wanted to create wealth. They had a good relationship right. and a good mindset around money, but that wasn't the main goal. The main goal was solving this problem, building this business, um, getting awareness for an idea, bringing a product to market. So I love that you, you talked about that briefly. So, you know, Kevin, m most people have money hangups. I know I had money hangups. Most people yeah. that I meet have money hangups. It's so funny. I used to tell people, that I try to convince people to make more money for a living. That's my job, right? And, and why, why should you have to, you think people be knocking down your door like, hey, uh, right. you got the secret, give me the key, but that's not the case, right? It's like, well, I don't know about that or I'll have to think, I'm not sure if that's what God wants me to do. It's like, how could you have to spend your time trying to convince people to make more money? Why do you think people have money hangups? Where does that come from? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, you mentioned you, you, you couldn't imagine that, you know, God would want anybody to be, you know, broke or poor, right? And so, um, anybody that is connected to me or knows anything about me, um, whether I'm speaking in more secular environments or leadership conferences or churches, um, I deal with people probably on a much deeper spiritual level. And you don't have to be spiritual to understand this context, but, um, uh, you know, it's amazing to me that you, you can be connected, right? Let's just say to God, you used that word earlier. You can be connected to a God that has all things, owns all things. Uh, every principle in his word has prosperity attached to it for an obeyed instruction. Every decree, every principle, um, uh, he himself, you know, said, uh, you know, above all things, I would that you would prosper and that the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich, right? We can go on and on and on. Money answers all things. And so I, I was always like you, very confused. I'm thinking, man, how can you be reading all these principles? You know, <laughs> I mean, like oftentimes reciting them. Now, for someone that doesn't necessarily follow the principles, say, of scripture, they might be reading some of those same books, right, that entrepreneurs read early on, you know, how to win friends and influence people, think and grow rich, the science of getting rich, you know, and it's like, how are you going to all these conferences, you know, reading all this stuff? Because, you know, this is a third grade class and it was like trade time for dollars, be broke, never have enough money to vacation or do anything nice with your kids or, you know, own your own business, take some risks, um, you know, it'll cost you you know, something for a season, right? But there's the potentiality for you to really unleash your full potential, have the type of revenue needed for you to live life without barriers and limitations. No one would pick the poor side. And so I think those uh, hangups come early on in life. I think most people are the byproduct of the families that they were raised in, uh, either uh, religion or church or a pastor or a grandfather. 
because at the end of the day, if we just look at the stats, you know, I mean, you know, it depends on what you look at. But I mean, anywhere between, you know, 70 percent and 85 percent, right, of Americans are in this sort of check to check, you know, sort of lifestyle. And so it's not like we're surrounded by billionaires. I mean, I, I didn't grow up around anybody that had massive amounts of money and a yacht and a private plane and two or three homes. You know, that 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 that, that ideology was so foreign to me. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the guy that lived beside me as a kid, Ian, he had a he had a pool in the ground, and I, I thought he was rich, dude. We'd never seen nothing like that. You know, I mean, you know, so 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 I, I think that all of us are so rooted, embedded in. And, and poverty thinking and scarcity thinking it's sort of that just enough mentality, you know, uh, just enough for me, which is so crazy because even that mentality is one false humility. And then two, it really even opposes God's covenant with you because the whole concept of really being wealthy is much like Abraham blessed to be a blessing. And so I think it goes right back to our school systems, our educational systems, our spiritual systems. I think so many leaders uh, that we look up to early on in life have their own hangups in the realm of money, prosperity, increase, overflow, uh, you know, lavish life. I mean, they have so many hangups themselves that I think they're so fearful of teaching those principles. And so, you know, for me, I think a little bit of it has to do also with destiny and purpose. And I think that's where someone like you, probably someone like me at a very early age, the minute that I heard, you know, a, a, a conversation that was wrapped around the idea that I could live life unlimited or that I could truly have life more abundantly, man, it activated something inside of me. Mm. I mean, man, there wasn't putting that, you couldn't have put that back in a box. I mean, something spoke to something on the inside of me that said, man, there's more, like I can have more because I serve the God of more, or I can have more, mm. uh, much like you said earlier with wealthy people, that because I serve more or because I solve more problems. And so, um, you know, I just hope that at some point in our lives, Ian, that there can be enough platforms like yours that really has a voice of authority that can pull back the veil from people's eyes that's got them in that very dark world of living beneath their God-given rights so that we can activate something inside of them to help them recognize and realize, man, that they truly are called to live into the heavenlies, right? Those higher heights. And so um, for me, I think it's just breaking free from those previous teachings those previous voices that guided much of our life. Yeah, so good. You know, I meet people that, that want to argue for their limitation, their lack. And if you want to argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. Congratulations, right? And I love what you talked about there. You know, wh why do people have money hangups? It's, it's two reasons. One is by default. That's what you're talking about. They're just being raised by people that don't know any better, right? That their environment was one of limitation, lack, and scarcity. That that creates their thinking and their belief systems. And then they perpetuate that onto other people mm. in well-meaning ways, right? Like, hey, I don't want you to get your hopes up. I don't want you to think something that's not, I don't want you to have too high of expectations and then have reality set in on you. So I'm gonna try to educate you based on my experience, but experience never trumps truth, right? We can have a truth that, that temporarily disagrees with our experience because we're involved in the experience, right? And so you've got default that's creating these people. People just don't know any better. They're raised in these environments. And then you talked about the school system and the government. I think some of that is by design. The, yeah, the, I the do too. Of poverty, right? Because, because Thomas Jefferson said this. He said, uh, we can't have independence without independence. What did he mean? Independence with a C-E. If we don't first have independence with a T-S. If people are independent financially, spiritually, they can't sustain themselves. We can never have independence because that creates 
dependence. And there's a lot of people that profit from dependence. There are peddlers of dependence today, right? It's like, hey, man, if we give you this and this and this, we know you'll vote for us. It's one of my favorite sayings is when you rob Peter to pay Paul, you can always account on the uh, uh, you can always count on the unequivocal support of Paul. Right. Paul's always going to support you. But you've got, you know, you, you've got sort of this experience based default setting. You've got people telling you don't trust people who are wealthy if they're wealthy. You know, they've taken something from you, pay their fair share. Who needs these sorts of things? It's no wonder so many people are struggling financially because they're being bombarded with messages that this is bad. It's not good. It's not something you should want. Talk about, if you would, what do you think the most destructive limiting belief around money is that you've seen? Yeah. Um, I don't know about maybe the most destructive, but, but I think ultimately it's, uh, it's, it's one, the idea, right? That, that money really is evil. Uh, that there's this, that there's this sort of internal warfare wrapped around the construct, right? That that money ruins people, right? And we both know that money is just a tool, right? It just exposes whatever's in your heart. Uh, you know, if you're a giver and you have more money, you just give to more causes, whether it's your church or charities, you know. And and if you're a drunk and you get rich, you'll just drink better alcohol, man. That's the only difference, right? It just exposes whatever's in your heart. And, and so I, I think it's kind of twofold. Um, I, I think it's this sort of misrepresentation that once again, that if you have money, right, that somehow you're just going to end up like sending your days away or doing no good or never making, uh, you know, ne never, never making any kind of life of relevance. And then I think too, I think it's also, uh, conversation, you know, because to me, uh, words are so powerful. I know you believe this too, Ian, but, but we talk about being raised in a particular way, but at some particular point, right, if the, if the power of life and death is in the tongue, I think most people are so unskilled at actually uh, speaking to what they desire in life. You mentioned that, right, that at some particular point, right, you sort of get the byproduct of however you live, the behaviors you have, the decisions that you make. But I think it all also relates to conversation because, once again, when you, when you meet someone that's got a life rooted uh, right in that scarcity thinking, Everything's about what they don't have. Therefore, they're testifying of the very thing they wish they didn't have. I don't have any money. I'll never have, uh, you know, nice things. I'll never leave this town, right? I mean, every, in other words, they're giving life to it because our current reality really is the byproduct of previous conversations. There's a scripture that actually says that, uh, that you'll have to live with the consequences of your conversation. Meaning that whatever you testify of on a consistent basis, it's you basically, whether you're talking, you think you're talking to the universe or me talking to God, it's, it's me saying that the words I say are also seeds loaded with potentiality. And at some particular point, I want the byproduct or I want the manifestation, right, of the things that I'm actually speaking about. And so I think it goes back to conversation. And at some particular point, I think it takes great mentorship like yourself and others that can help people walk away from bad dialogue and to understand that every word is loaded with full manifestation. And you got to look back at words that you're speaking and say, man, do I want the harvest of these words? Hmm. You know, do I, do I want the fulfillment of these words that I'm speaking over my finances, my family, my marriage, you know, my future. And so I think when we can train people to think better, right? Because whatever you think ultimately determines what you say and what you just say determines who you become. So if we can get people to think differently, that leads to a more clear, more precise conversation that's rooted in, in, in that abundant mentality. And then you start looking at things entirely different, right? Your language changes. Poverty language gives way to a prosperity language. And when you have a king's language, when you have a language of the wealthy, 
you're operating from a place of expectation. I mean, you expect good opportunities to come your way. You expect to make money on your investments. You expect that there'll be good relationships come into your proximity that can help you, um, uh, you know, have better opportunities or make better decisions. And so everything from being rooted in faith to your level of expectation, right on down to how you work and what you work at, I think it all goes back to, to the beginning of our conversation because when we testify, we're literally getting the byproduct of those words. And so I think we just have to be very conscious of the things that we speak because yeah. whatever you're saying, ultimately, you're prophesying and decreeing, I want the harvest of this conversation. Yeah. yeah, what you speak about, you bring about, right? Our words are creating our world. It's so interesting because you said prosperity has a language, money has a language, right? And, and, and people who have that, they've learned to speak that. It's so interesting to listen to, like you talked about, we'll never, never leave this town. We don't have any money. Money doesn't grow on trees. We can't afford that right now. All these sorts of sayings. But what's interesting is, you know, money won't go where it's not wanted. And what I try to tell people is imagine you spoke to your spouse the way you speak to money or about money, right? But there's more important things in life than you. You know, I don't need you to be happy. You know, I, I don't need to, to spend my time trying to get you. There's more important things than you anyways, right? Well, I can't take you with me. So why bother even putting effort and energy into you at all right now? If you spoke to your spouse the way that you spoke to money, you wouldn't have a spouse either. <laughs> You'd be broke and single, not just broke, right? And, but, but people don't get that. It's like they think they can say whatever they want give life to those words and then not reap the consequences of the seeds that they're planting, which is really, really interesting. Let's talk about a taboo topic, the prosperity gospel, uh -huh, right? Mm -hmm. The prosperity messaging is so interesting, you know, coming out, out of a, a full-time ministry career. I know obviously you're a pastor as well. And, you know, we are children of uh, the King of Kings, the one who made it and owns it all. And yet so many of the children of the kingdom reject the blessing, the inheritance and the covenant that comes along with that, right? It's, it's almost as though they don't want the responsibility of the leadership and stewardship of the kingdom. And so if we can just deny that piece of it, then we're not responsible to it. Talk to me a little bit about the prosperity gospel. Why do people have a problem with this idea that, uh, that God wants to bless you, that God wants you to be... To, to prosper, not only is your soul prosperous, he doesn't just want you to prosper financially, he's mostly concerned, number one, of, of your soul, but secondly, is, is your life and covenant here on the planet Earth. Why do people have such a hang-up on this, in your opinion? Right. Uh, one of my favorite subjects, uh, Ian, you know I mean? Uh, the first answer is you already gave it, right? He said that, 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 would, that you had prospered, your soul prospered. So if your soul, right, your mind, your will, your emotions, if those things aren't prosperous, then you can't be prosperous. Yeah. So, so, so the reason he says soul first, right, is I've got to have your mind right. I've got to have your emotions in check, right? If those things aren't prospering, there's no way you're actually going to prosper. But I think it's also an identity issue. You know, one of the things I say when I speak on prosperity in certain settings is I always say that when you have an identity issue, you'll also have inventory issues. Hmm. And I'm talking, I'm talking, uh, literal inventory issues, but, uh, re relational to, um, accessing the immeasurable resources of heaven, right? Being able to see a perfect manifestation in the earthly realm of those things that are supernatural, right? So whether we're talking prosperity, money, finance, abundance, increase, overflow. So when you have an identity issue, the problem with that is, is that you can recite all of the promises that relate to 
having prosperity, right? You can read every principle. You can read every story. Deuteronomy 28, Joshua 1. I mean, Lord, Christians love to quote Deuteronomy 28. I mean, a house in the city, a house in the country, you know, on top, never on bottom, first, not last. Uh, blessings so strong and big that they'll pursue and actually overtake you. I mean, man, people love to quote this stuff, right? But then you never see the tangible evidence of any of the things they're quoting in their life. So either one, God is, is, is not a keeper of his word, or two, something in my personal life is out of alignment with the things that I'm actually saying. And that's where the connection of belief comes in. Because it's one thing right to say it. It's another thing to believe in your heart of hearts, right? That there is an expectation that the thing that I believe God has said about me and his word, that he's able to keep those things. And so this is where that poverty mentality sort of sneaks in because it creates a seed of doubt and unbelief. This is why oftentimes people pray, but they pray also with a seed of doubt or unbelief, much like the children of Israel. When you read in the New Testament on why they did not enter into Canaan land, the Bible said, they limited the Holy One of Israel. So once again, notice God's not limited him. So it says they limited the Holy One of Israel through their unbelief, right? So the only thing that can limit God from sending you, like, I mean, you, 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 you could not pray a prayer big enough to intimidate God. Like, I don't care if you're asking for 40 homes, 400 homes, two private jets. I mean, we're just, you know, not, not that wealth is just material things, but, but for the sake of conversation, you couldn't ask God for $10 billion and it'd be, uh, you know, intimidating to him, right? So when you go back to the very beginning, the thing that I try to get people to understand is that the very first conversation God ever had with man, Ian was a prosperity conversation, which was, he says this, he says, and he blessed them. Uh, so in order to understand the blessing, and we don't have time to cover it, you have to go through the scripture and see what the blessing produces, right? So we quoted one of the scriptures earlier. The Bible says that the blessing of the Lord makes one not poor, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. The Bible said Abraham was blessed. And when you look at Abraham, I love the King James translation. I love, I love modern contemporary translations today, but I love this King James translation. It says Abraham was not just rich. The Bible said he was very rich. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. It said Abraham was very rich. And then it said he was very rich in silver and gold and cattle. Right. So you start. So then you have to say, well, what does the blessing produce? And at the end of the day, that's what people do. They'll say, well, I'm blessed. I mean, how many believers, you know, that probably get on your call you know, and time after time after time, they're like, I'm blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. They'll use that. They'll use those two together. Like, I ain't just blessed. I'm favored. And then you're like, can't pay their bills. Ain't never went on vacation. Ain't never been out of the country. Never bought anything nice. Retired their mom and dad. Right. Or not be able to send their kids to school without debt. Like, you're thinking to yourself, where is the evidence of this blessing in your life? So watch what he says in Genesis. He said, and he blessed them. And then he turns around and says it like this. He gives them a command at the first kingdom mandate, which means this is not up for negotiation. This means this is something God is demanding from all of us. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Without covering all that, it's pretty easy to understand. It means I got to bear fruit and I also need to properly manage and multiply everything that God's placed in my care. The reason I want to say that to you is because the first conversation God ever has with man is a prosperity conversation. But in the Garden of Eden, there was another voice, right? The enemy snuck in there and began to talk to Eve. And what's crazy is the, 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 the only conversation outside of God was through the enemy, and his first conversation with man was a poverty conversation. And here's why, Ian, because he began to tell Eve all the things that she lacked in her life. Oh, man, I mean, there's this other tree over here. You know, it'll it'll give you knowledge of good and evil. I mean, like the Lord's trying to keep this from you. Like if you go over here and eat of this one, you'll be just like God. So here's where the identity part comes in. Notice that the conversation was rooted in lack. He tried to convince her that she was lacking something. 
Here's what you're lacking. God has done said to Adam and Eve, I made you in my image. You're in my likeness. You're my masterpiece. Like there was nothing lacking in their lives. So the very first conversation the enemy loves to have with us is highlighting all the things that make us think that somehow when God was handing out talent, gifts and revenue and all these other incredible things that he overlooked you in, that somehow he bypassed the Mullins household because we wasn't good enough. And this is where that identity crisis comes in, because if you have an identity issue, in the kingdom of God, you'll live with inventory issues, which means, now this is not a heaven or hell issue. This is not about you getting to heaven. Um, but in the earthly realm, if you if you say that you're connected to an open heaven, if you believe that you serve the king of kings and then have no evidence of the blessing of God in your life, the only reason you would have no blessings is that you are sabotaging your kingdom identity by saying, Lord, I'm a joint heir, I'm a co-heir, which by the way, joint heir means my name is just as good on the check as his name is, which means I could write it for a billion dollars. That's what being having a joint account with your wife means, Ian. Your wife don't have to call you to ask if she can buy a pair of shoes or probably even a new Jeep, right? She knows her name on that bank account is the same as yours. She can go right down there to the bank. Y'all's name are both on there. That's what a joint checking account is. It represents authority. So when we struggle with an identity issue, and I think that's the biggest issue that, that believers face in the realm of prosperity is because, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're born again. They're believers, right? But the evidence of that blessing, like you can't keep saying you're a member of God's royal family, that you're the seed elect of God, right? And then have no material blessing um, because every hero of the book that we look to, Daniel, Joseph, Solomon, David, these were all massively, immensely wealthy people because they understood their point of access. In other words, they realized, Lord, if I'm your child, then whatever I ask of you, Lord, you're obligated to fulfill your word because it says that whatsoever things I desire in my heart, ask and believe, I can have those things. And so that seed of doubt comes in through highlighting the lack in our life. And then ultimately, when we don't truly understand who we are, We'll live like a redheaded stepchild, although we're connected to the abundance, the river of God's abundance, because we have convinced ourselves that God can answer prayers for others and bless others with wealth and riches and prosperity. But somehow those things are not applicable to my life. And so it boils down to simple one thing, identity. Wow, that's so good. I I love what you talked about there, the first conversation and the author of prosperity and the author of lack and doubt, right? And the, and the enemy's first conversation was focused on what you lacked. Let me get you to believe that you lack something, that you don't have what you need. And that sows a seed of doubt, which counteracts the belief, right? That you need to, you've got, if you don't believe, I, I, uh, I told this story once before in college, um, I was your quintessential poor college kid. And uh, I had a, a U.S. history class. It was three hours long, Tuesday and Thursday, my sophomore year, right after lunch. And I would have to walk from one side of the campus to the other side. So I would always hit the KFC because for $1.99, you could get 12 buttermilk biscuits, right? So you got about 4,000 calories, pure carbs. Carbs are my love language, Kevin. I don't know if you could tell that or not. And, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I would go there and I would spend my $1.99 on my student card and get my 12 biscuits and go to class and have a feast, right? And so one day I was extra hungry. I went there and my card declined. I swiped it again, card declined. I didn't have any money on it. And so I'm like freaking out. I got 10 minutes. I'm begging in the line for spare change to try to get my biscuits, right? I can't raise the $1.99. I was that good of a salesperson. So I I went to the the class hungry and I had a hard time in the class paying attention because I was so hungry. I was so unfocused. 
And when I was walking back to my car after that class, I reached in my pocket to get my keys and out I pull a $10 bill. And so I had the power on my person the entire time to not get one of what I need. I could have gotten five of what I needed, but I didn't know that I had it. And so I couldn't use it. And that's the power of belief, right? If you believe you lack something, you're going to act on that belief of lack. And you're going to go hungry, even though you have the seed of abundance already on you, already in your person, already in your identity. So I love what you talked about there. Doubt creating, uh, lack creating doubt, which gets in the way of belief. Uh, Kevin, we're out of time. We could sit and talk here for hours. I just love this. How do people connect with you? Where can they find you? Uh, probably the easiest place. Just go to my name, Kevin Mullins, uh, M-U-L-L-E-N-S.com. Uh, KevinMullins.com. Everything's there from my books to the social media that I'm on. And so that's the easiest place to go. And, uh, you know, Ian, it doesn't uh, go without saying, but man, I got to tell you, when, when, when I say that I'm proud of you, man, I don't think, I mean, I know you know you're changing lives, brother, but I, I, I pray that no one that's in proximity to you ever, um, doesn't truly understand and realize the voice. I think you have a, I think you have what I call a prophetic entrepreneurial gift in your life. I believe that God has deposited something inside of you that can really break the bonds that hold people down in their finances and even in their families to really live a life of complete freedom. And I think that there, it's, it's a rarity to see someone that can operate in the entrepreneur world and also have a spiritual gifting the way that you do. And so I just trust that your audience continues to grow. Your influence continues to grow your level of success, man. Um, you're a very humble guy, Ian, but your level of success is, um, is, is pioneering. I think, uh, a, a new belief in younger entrepreneurs to step up to the plate and really believe what's possible. So I'm honored that you would even ask me to be on here. Thank you for having me. Kevin, thank you, brother. I appreciate your leadership and your wisdom and your mentorship. And, and guys, KevinMullins.com. Go there, grab a couple books, follow Kevin on Instagram or whatever social media platforms you use. And listen, y'all, is, is a thank you for watching this. I, and I didn't even think about this until we were in the conversation, but belief is everything, right? Especially your beliefs about money. They're going to dictate and determine what you do or what you don't do. Um, I want to give y'all, if, if you found some value here, you want to, you want to spruce up your belief system a little bit, just DM me the word money, DM me the word money. I'm going to send you a free five day money mindset checkup. That's going to help you look at the five limiting beliefs that stop people from being able to walk in that abundance. See, do I have these? And if I do, how do I overcome them? How do I get them out of my way so I can walk into that abundance that is already mine? It belongs to me. I just maybe have too much doubt and lack in the way. So DM me money. Make sure to go to kevinmullins.com. Go follow Kevin there. Kevin, thank you so much for your time, brother. It's always an honor to spend a little bit of time together. I wish we had more time. And to everybody watching, until next time, we'll talk to you soon.